Hi everyone, this is episode nine and today we are going to be focusing on diabetes. I'm Catherine. Uh, and I'm Andrew. Welcome to the Practical Protection Podcast. So Catherine, um, how are you doing this lovely sunny morning? I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm jealous that I'm not, obviously, we're recording this on the bank holiday Monday, so this is just saying to everyone how dedicated we are to the podcast. Um, and it's lovely, lovely and sunny outside, but I have to say um, that I've done something, Andrew. I've got a bit of a surprise for you that I've hidden. Oh, and um, so I think what was the best thing to do is for you to describe to people what's coming up on screen and just to explain to everybody that um, I am not getting stripped off or anything like that. <laughs> Everything is very, very legitimate, but... Um, <laughs> you're going to think I'm insane. I'm now trying to get you back because I've been looking at all diabetes stuff and hiding your face. Oh, thanks. Let me <laughs> if you see what I've got, you're going to describe to people what I've got in front of me. I haven't, I haven't got there yet. Right, 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 you, right. How many right. tabs have you got up on your screen? Honestly. Oh, there we go. Oh, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's a cake with a unicorn candle. It is, it is. And <laughs> the reason being, and there's a lot of stuff going into this. When we first started the podcast, um, I saw something when I was doing the research about podcasts. Yeah, yeah, I've the candle out. Yeah. It's my um, it's my dad's birthday today. I see. Oh, that's even be, even better. Right. Well, oh. well, happy dad's birthday. Yeah. But, um, the reason mm. being is apparently most podcasts don't get to episode nine. And it's episode nine. So since we started this, I've had this in my diary. It's a special thing in my diary saying, do a candle, do a cupcake and candle. It's a very nice, it's a very nice cake. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, um, it's a kiddie's, obviously, it's, it's literally melted chocolate with um, rice <laughs> in it, a bit of porridge in it as well. It's, it's literally just got anything in it that I could find. Oh, no. But there you go. So that's a surprise. So anyway. I feel um, bad now. I'm, I'm, <laughs> as, as I'm in that awkward position. One of my friends once managed to completely forget his wife's birthday. <gasps> And um, oh. wasn't didn't realise until him and his three kids turned up at her parents' house for lunch that day, when her parents said happy oh. birthday, and she turned to him. So no. I I don't feel that bad, but I feel like I should have got something for you. I'm now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like I'm passing. It's not yeah. like I'm passing you the cake. There isn't one turning up at your doorstep no, or anything. I've not one shipped to you. But no, that was just my little. Um, that's something that's been giggling in the back of my mind for the last nine episodes. Well, well, well done, us. Congratulations. Us. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so I've had a brilliant weekend, and obviously even better morning. Giggling to myself, getting that ready. How have you been? Yeah, I've been all right. I've been all right. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Yes, it's um, well. What well, it's half term this week, isn't it? So that means no difference at all, other than nothing <laughs> from teachers to try and muddle through days for a week. Um, so, yeah, it's we're, we're okay. We're um, we're we're settling into a new home office. So we've got had managed to had have that built through the last few weeks. So basically, yeah, our ha we're moving work stuff out of house into that, which feels quite good. Although also means lots of going through old boxes and old things and yes. So yeah. kind of in that busy, busy headspace of having 10 years of your life kind of in, in front of you in various forms of paper, which is always um, interesting. Yes. Uh, it's the kind yeah. of thing you've always put in off because it's just something so exactly. much anything is so much more better to do but it, that's i think that's really important though i did some training with um, the mental health charity rethink on uh, well last week and one of the things was like how to better your home environment and everything um during lockdown and there was that thing of you know really trying to make sure that you have a divide between yeah. 
you know, where your workspace is and your home space is. And it was even, even if you are stuck in a room and it has to be that your living space is your workspace or your bedroom is your workspace, like specifically doing stuff so that when it's bedtime that you're not looking in the direction of your work setup is. And yeah. when you're working, you're not looking at where you're sleeping. You know, it's, so I think being able to do that, I think that's really nice that you've got that opportunity to, yeah, to I'm, like, separate. I'm I'm still insisting I'm going to walk out the front door and round to our back gate and then go into our back garden. But um, yeah, I makes you feel better. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm going out the front door. Yeah, yes, that's kind of, we'll see how long that lasts. Um, Absolutely. Um, yes. So anyway, on to today's theme. On to today's oh, sorry. Theme. Oh, sorry. We have to do the light. We have to do the yeah. uh, last, week, last week's truth to the light, right? So last week was all about favourite games. We don't have obviously Cara with us today, but um, she got involved last week. So I said that my favourite family favourite game was Taboo. Yours was... Mario Kart. Mario Kart. And Cara said hers was Twister. So again, for everybody who I know is dying to know this answer, um, the answer is that Cara was lying. And I have to say, we had quite a bit of a giggle, I believe, before the episode about how much she is detesting Twister <laughs> at the moment. I think, you know, as a full grown adult with a child trying to do Twister together isn't the easiest of things at times. And when that child is just at that borderline age of not being able to reach, kind of any of the things that they need to reach as well it just makes it all yeah i think that was something that she kind of said through gritted teeth <laughs> yes yeah i think um so unlike you maybe cara and i aren't uber bendy people transpired. <laughs> so, so, I strength, I so i'm really i sometimes have to do cos cosmic kids yoga have you, have oh, you yes i yeah, love that so mm, mm, I, yeah no give me give me joe making me run up and down on the spot half an hour any day but that my cosmic kids training is still doesn't make me twister ready so i entirely sympathize with cara i was gonna say um, though i'm just imagining you at twister i kind of imagine you'd be awesome because i just imagine you no. in like a downward dog yoga pose and that everyone else is just moving underneath you you're that yeah. tall that you're just kind of like <laughs> yeah that works until i accidentally squash any number <laughs> yeah we'll try and avoid that yeah let's yeah, yeah. avoid the squashing anyway right so diabetes <laughs> Yes. So I think, you know, just to explain to you straight away, that there's, there's just no way that we can avoid talking about coronavirus in this at the moment because it's had such an impact upon the offering for, for diabetes. So what we're going to do is we are going to try and talk generally about diabetes and I will sort of talk a little bit of post-coronavirus things that are available. Um, but it's, I think it is very, very important, as you uh, do, Andrew, as well, that we talk about it as in, like, this is the reality of what's happening right now, because this is a, a very specific group that are being affected when it comes to insurance applications. So, so it's type one, uh, well, sorry, type one, it, with diabetes, there are a number of different versions. When I was doing the research for this, I was surprised at how many versions there were as well. Um, that I don't know about or haven't come across the names before. So I think typically we generally think of type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes. So type 1 is more sort of an autoimmune condition um, that somebody is born and lives with their entire life. Type 2 diabetes is one that is diagnosed that is generally obviously due to some lifestyle choices. You then have gestational diabetes, which is um, occurs during pregnancy. But then a couple of others that, um, sorry, popped up as well, that, that sorry, intrigued me with their names were Wolfram syndrome and Alstrom syndrome and then type 3C diabetes. And I think in a number of those, like the Wolfram syndrome, there's quite a few different ones within that as well. Um, and that kind of surprised me as to how many different ones there were that I wouldn't necessarily immediately from the name think were diabetes anyway. 
So with type 1 diabetes, you've got about 8% of diabetics in the UK have type 1 diabetes. Type 2, um, there is roughly 90% of diabetics in the UK have that one. And I went on to Diabetes UK and I was just sort of putting up some stats just for everybody and, and for myself to know a bit more about. So there's roughly 4.7 million people in the UK that currently have diabetes. And someone is diagnosed with it every two minutes. And that roughly comes down to saying about one in 15 people have diabetes. And it was these next statistics that I got that actually really shocked me. Um, and I say this from Diabetes UK, and it was saying that every week due to diabetes, there are 169 amputations, 680 strokes, 530 heart attacks and 2,000 heart failures um, due to diabetes within the UK. And there are also 500 premature deaths um, due to um, diabetes. And those ones really, really shocked me. I think there was part of me that was just surprised that there were so many, but then there was a big part of me that was thinking of how many critical illness claims there could potentially be um, if people had had these contracts in place. Um, and that really, really surprised me. So from your point of view, Andrew, underwriter head and everything like that, talk to us about diabetes. Yeah, so, so you're right in this increasing number and um, distinction between different kinds of diabetes. I mean, it is fair to say, I think underwriters still largely think in terms of type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes and gestational diabetes. And I think it is worth talking about gestational diabetes a bit as we go through uh, for a an area where there can often be confusion and challenges between advisors, underwriters and, and uh, clients. Um, but yeah, type one, as you say, largely happens, is largely diagnosed at much earlier ages and is where the body isn't producing any insulin at all. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot more, um, typically that's almost an underwriting issue, but that's often an underwriting issue. Um, whereas type two is sometimes an underwriting issue and sometimes as you described there because it's coming on at older ages and is a mix of genetic and lifestyle factors mm. um, then what's often sometimes we underwrite that but often it's coming in more at claim stage um, whether that's income protection claim critical illness claim life insurance claim uh, so a lot a lot of claims as you describe are claims where people genuinely didn't have diabetes or certainly weren't aware that they had high blood sugar at time of application but by time of claim that we can see that that's been a factor um, and I think that drives um, some of the ideas and push around um, improved I guess products and propositions from insurers to play a part in people's health you know bluntly it's in it's in both insurers and individuals interests if they can do that through products so we see that from from some insurers around mental health things but also i think increasingly insurers are looking at that around physical health too yeah um yeah and then type 2 diabetes specifically so so as you've said the vast majority of people who have diabetes have type 2, two diabetes that does increase by age so i think it's about a million people under 60 have diabetes and kind of the rest so about three million over 60 have diabetes so that is where I think that's where certainly you've you've already mentioned coronavirus i think that's where trying to pull out the different things that are going on with coronavirus is often very difficult and diabetes kind of was already already in that place yeah. of you have those huge numbers but actually understanding why an 85 year old dies um is always is almost always not a very simple case you know there's almost always two or three things going on 
Yeah. So I think that's, was that what you were saying though is in the case of you know because I think we're hearing a lot of different things like I was hearing that around 25 percent of deaths due, um, uh, with coronavirus were people who had diabetes we're hearing obviously that a very significant amount are older people as well so you say people over the age of 60 or the age of 80 you know it's it is, it's kind of the fact of you know these statistics I think can come out of it but in some ways it kind of seems as if we're reading a bit too much into those statistics and that correlation because it's kind of a case of well yes it is a lot of people but with who have you know there's been a lot of people who are diabetic who've um, unfortunately um passed but they were they were part of that age group as well so it's not necessarily the diabetes it's the fact that they were maybe it's maybe the age but then at the same point it could be the diabetes it may not be the age we're kind of i think all of us in a bit of a, a standstill as to what to know at the moment yeah and i think we are beginning to come out of that phase so there was so last week so where are we now well, we're recording this may the 25th so yeah. may the 20th i think there's the first study that i've seen kind of or the, sorry the largest global study come out last week which came out from nhs england on so it's called type 1 and type 2 diabetes and covid19 related mortality in england a whole population yeah. study um so that was looking at i think it was kind of the first two months of coronavirus deaths and, and that's where between a quarter and a third have of people who have died having had the COVID-19 test in hospital yeah. um, have also had diabetes. Uh, that did then within that report, uh, within that study, um, try, or well it did, it, it stripped out other factors like age uh, like race, like um, socioeconomic deprivation status. So I did some postcode analysis. And, he, and after that, um, it kind of flipped the um, importance of type 2 and type 1 diabetes. And after all of that, it said that if, you've, if you're a type 1 diabetic, you have a three and a half times risk of right. dying from coronavirus in hospital. And if you to, to someone who doesn't have diabetes, right. uh, if you type two diabetic, you've got a two times a, a, a doubling of the risk. Um, now, there's still bits recognised in there um, that it doesn't fully take into account other medical conditions and things like that. Okay. Um, and certainly for the type two diabetes, uh, that two times risk, and for both really, it's not that dissimilar to probably the kind of extra risk that we would expect from a diabetic anyway okay. um, so it doesn't necessarily mean there has to be a, a huge rethinking of underwriting risk you know if it, it probably is just another multiple but it does seem that there's something going on and it can't just be explained away by you know all, all of these other things yeah uh, and, and, and certainly I think that is the point we're at so I guess more generally um, clearly underwriters Underwriters are asked to look at a 25-year risk, you know, that snapshot from an application form and possibly a GPR and then predict yeah. uh, what will happen in the next 25 years. With this, we've had two months experience, but we are now beginning and genuinely sadly because of the numbers of people affected by this, we are beginning to see credible things where kind of an initial... Um, blanket approach should and can be challenged really condition by condition especially for these big conditions and that will mean that for some conditions there are more um, conservative approaches that need to be taken and for others there can be uh, alternative approaches taken rather than it just being a 
an overall case of coronavirus plus existing medical condition equals bad. Um, yeah. there, there, there clearly will be some conditions which are more effective than others. And I think we, we you know, recognising this could go on for a while yet, yeah, we need to, um, and, and underwriters are looking at those individually rather than just a, on the whole scale. I think it's, you know, I think everybody can, with a sensible uh, sort of like view on it, you know, from the advice, we're not saying that this wouldn't be, it wouldn't, you know, as a client, I can say it's going to suck yeah, no matter absolutely. what, but, you know, yeah, from an advice and underwriter point of view, and I think everybody can understand that if there's something that's being seen as from the statistics and from medical information, that there is only that two month kind of data that's there. If there's something that's really standing out as potentially even more so of a risk, then I think everybody will understand that there has to be, well, insurers are going to want to take a little bit of extra caution for at least the, the current time being. Yeah, so, and, and, and to be clear, to be clear, when, when we say there's a two times, so for type 2 diabetes, when this study says it's a two times extra risk of dying from COVID, that's, that doesn't mean they've got a two times extra risk of dying of everything. It's just yeah. from COVID. So, it, you know, that doesn't automatically mean you double the rates or anything like that. Yeah. It's, it's just that. So I think still with those numbers, although it clearly does show that there is an increased risk, uh, as I say, I don't think it's out of proportion to the kind of risk that we would look to ensure normally. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um probably have a Sorry, bit of a chat we've gone deep deep into detail there but <laughs> you, once you open the door <laughs> no well I'm, I'm thinking to myself i want to chat now about like the ace inhibitors like the the medication that's potentially yeah, let's do it. to it as well and then i'm thinking no we know we're trying to we're trying really hard not to do like our usual hour and a half <laughs> <laughs> um so no, so i think it's a good idea to have a little bit of a chat of the things that we need to know so these are the things yeah. that we always need to know so this is pre and post coronavirus but I want to chat a little bit just on the off chance that hopefully things will return to what they were. Um, just like a bit of a chance to chat as to what we would typically have seen if we didn't have coronavirus staring us all in the face. So, and I, I, sorry, Catherine. I think, yeah, I think on this, it, all of the research so far shows the same risk factors are still relevant. So yeah. I don't think the underwriting questions will change. So all of this stuff is still absolutely relevant today mid 2020 as it was in 2019 and hopefully it will be in 2021 2022 yeah no no i fully appreciate yeah uh, yeah get that um i think my concern not concern but my thought is that maybe if diabetes is being seen as such a specific risk that yeah. maybe if we when we are starting to return to pre-coronavirus kind of offerings for insurance that maybe diabetes may take a little longer to yeah. go back to where it was so that's that's kind of like my, my mindset is yeah. with it but no so what we'd need to know at any point for somebody uh, with diabetes is you'd need to know when it was diagnosed the type that they were diagnosed with their medication especially if anything like metformin is currently in use or has been in use um, any other forms of treatments if there's been any surgery um any um what's known as a hyper what's known as a hypo it's um a hypoglycemic kind of um, event, which is when the blood sugar drops um, seriously low and the person can potentially lose um, consciousness um, or fit. You need to know their blood pressure readings, their cholesterol readings. And the latest one for me, which it really gets me, um, it's well, the latest one, but the HbA1c level, I mean, that is absolutely key. Without the HbA1c level, there's no way as an advisor you can speak to the insurer and have a sensible conversation about what the terms could be because nobody's going to know. But um, now so like so you hit the level of being diabetic when the reading is at 48 
um, or 6.5. And that really gets to me now because I'm obviously now, especially old school, I'm all about the 6.5. I don't really get the new numbers of 48. And um, that's really, really throwing me. But now I'm thinking, right, as long as I know those two numbers, and I'm sure I'm probably not the only advisor who's got that kind of a thing where I'm thinking, why have they changed it? It I'm was glad. fine originally. I'm glad because right, we present ourselves as, as the cutting edge do we as the cutting edge front <laughs> of protection and I, and I and i'm exactly the same um, as you. um but it wasn't until doing my crash course in revision for this this morning that it kind of i, I think it says it, it, it changed in 2009 the official what? preference from percentages to millimoles per mole um, hey, i've only really seen yeah, the last couple of years even when i do so absolutely that this is exactly right catherine we can back each other up on this yeah. in, in, uh, to, to go. i'm sure it takes a while to get through the nhs and doctors and so on and so on but it's yeah <laughs> you kind of see it in black and white as on i think it was on a one of the charity websites going yeah ba basically the if you're still thinking in percentages good you know who are you so I, I still, I still very much start in percentages and then work to the other. But as you say, yeah. forty-eight and six point five. Forget the science. Forget anything behind it. Below yeah. those are are good. Are either you don't have diabetes or it's well controlled. Yeah. Uh, and then as you go above that, you enter more uh, more worrying territory, um, uh, which with it comes extra risk um, for you and and from my side for, for the insurer absolutely um, i think it's a good idea as well to mention so you've got pre-diabetes and borderline diabetes now i think these are quite difficult ones because people for me as an advisor it can be quite difficult because people often come to us and say well i'm pre-diabetic i'm borderline diabetic and then you have to explain to them that obviously for some insurers and depending upon it's very much depending upon that hba1c reading they will in they can potentially be classed in a sense underwriting wise as diabetic because of the the potential of how high that reading is everything the other factors so like the height and weight any other complications that there are and it's it can be very very hard because you know it's kind of that thing of i think someone if they are maybe borderline diabetic or pre-diabetic it's kind of um not an achievement but it's kind of like a thing for them where they're kind of like but well, i'm not diabetic yet mm. i am okay and i'm working hard on this to not become diabetic and then you're having to say to them well kind well yes but unfortunately the insurers kind of think of you as diabetic and you know that can be really really hard that conversation and i have actually had one person it, it was very very difficult I had one person who was actively really trying to be very pushy to me to non-disclose on their mm. which obviously I, I didn't do I, I couldn't do the application with the person um mm. but you know very actively well just you know stuff like well my blood sugar's fine now so it won't matter and then he just goes well I know your blood sugar's fine now but obviously in the last five years <laughs> your blood sugar hasn't been fine and we're going to need to tell them and it could affect things and I think you know I think the majority of people are fine but I think there is kind of like a little bit of sensitivity sometimes around this that can be I, I don't think sorry my, I think it's sorry not be blasé and sorry I think oh it's absolutely fine there won't be any issues because it's pre-diabetes or borderline diabetes it's not actually diabetes you know be try to be very careful with the wording and make sure that people that are applying for insurance realize that it could affect the application just as much as having diabetes could yeah absolutely uh I don't know if this is the right analogy, but almost, you know, in, in the, as we talk a lot about in, in mental health terms, everyone has mental health, everyone has blood sugar levels. Um, HbA1c um, is 
basically gives you an average of your last two or three months worth of of blood sugar so it's a it's an accurate reading that kind of isn't just a snapshot um and it gives you that longer term reading and therefore if if you're in that um borderline diabetes or pre-diabetes stage then typically as you say you're kind of given a you know well do these things to improve your lifestyle improve your diet and come back um yeah they're, they're difficult times to underwrite because obviously you kind of have to take the cautious approach and yeah. throughout with diabetes um as with as with other conditions what the underwriter wants to see is and un- but, but even more so with diabetes is an understanding of the condition compliance with what you're being advised by medical professionals whether that is compliance compliance with medication or compliance with diet and lifestyle and especially that early stage just the volatility and different outcomes is huge so Mm. absolutely let's pluck a number out the air 80 percent of people with borderline diabetes um, will will listen will comply will either end up not ever entering full diabetes or entering it in a very controlled way Mm. but some people won't and some people will at that point that's where things can frankly go wrong very quickly either if you don't listen or or just as the body's getting used you know as, as, the, as those extremes are being reached diff- very different things happen yeah so I, t- I totally understand it's it's difficult um again i think i think from a practical perspective it is dealing with that each situation at that time and for many individuals it may be right that they get that cover at that point but then in another couple of years or or whenever that they come back and and look again um and and, and doubtless that's what what you and others would do in that situation yeah so when it comes to the actual insurances as well so life insurance generally is unless there's some really extreme readings there some extreme complications life insurance in itself is pretty pretty okay to to get set up for somebody with diabetes um what we find as well is we find IP, so income protection, is much easier to get than um, critical illness cover. And one of the things that always sort of like enters our minds, and I'm assuming it's the same for quite a few other advisors as well, is that in a sense, there's so many people obviously with diabetes in the UK. Surely there must be some kind of business case for insurers to be offering or more insurers to be offering critical illness contracts. So, you know, a bit like what Bupa used to do. Um, and, you know, maybe something where it's a, a specific way, you know, because it, it just feels really harsh that people with diabetes can't easily get a contract that would maybe protect them if they were to be diagnosed with cancer or something like that, or if they were suddenly diagnosed with Parkinson's or something. There's a lot of conditions in there which could be wrong obviously i'm not medical trained um but that don't scream out that diabetes would necessarily be a cause for them to be um obviously bearing in mind what we said before you know so say yes you know heart attacks would probably well definitely would need to be excluded you'd need to have loss of limbs excluded you'd need to have strokes excluded which i know the cancer stroke and heart attack are the main things um but it, it just yeah it just feels really really harsh that there's just same as like for people who are living with HIV that there's there's not some way that we can you know do some kind of a contract that would be you know if people are willing to buy it I suppose that's the question as well for me a big one is that I know insurers sort of like don't like to offer these things because they sort of say well there may not be a market for it and it's not fair to offer this and not offer everything in the contract to somebody it's it's, it's just not fair but I'm wondering if they actually asked people yeah um so I think it's 
<laughs> Sorry for putting that on you, Andrew. No, no, no. I think I think the reality is is probably things if it's going to happen, the huge advantage from a commercial interest for an insurer is bluntly the number of diabetics. So it's much easier to consider doing something like this specifically for people who have diabetes and for people who have some other conditions which simply aren't as prevalent. So and and I know insurers therefore do look at this. The obvious challenge for diabetes, as you said, is not so is partly the number of significant conditions it can end up manifesting itself in. Um, but also just, you know, how, how closely they overlap with traditional critical illness conditions. Mm-hmm. But to your last point of, well, have you ever actually asked people? I think the answer is less, probably less than people would admit. And still, if you start from that three, four, five million number of diabetics and go, well, even if only 10% of them said, yeah. yes, actually, that, that, that does mean something for me, then that's a, you know, in, in, in a world, whether we like it or not, dominated by numbers and large numbers, etc., then that still leaves quite a lot of people um so yeah i i have tremendous sympathy with that i i can't tell you why and as always happy very happy to be told that i'm wrong um but i can't tell you why you couldn't have a cancer plan for example um for people who have diabetes that you know if they are also worried about us you know why wouldn't they why wouldn't you be uh, about the risk of cancer and you kind of take that take that view then I I couldn't tell you why you couldn't have that, um, and and if it and if and if actually people wanted the twenty of the fifty conditions or whatever it is, um, then again I couldn't tell you that that aren't impacted by diabetes, and I couldn't tell you why from a technical insurance perspective you couldn't do that. So I think that does come down to assumptions about um, customers and assumptions about advisors that yeah. may or may not be valid. Yeah, I think it kind of, there's part of me as well thinking, does it make it more, there's maybe a thought that it would make it more complicated at claim stage or something, because, you know, there'd be an extra dynamic of, well, what type of policy is it? Does it fit within this? But to me, that's that's kind of the same as like with anything, because, you know, if it's always a case of, well, when this person took out this contract, was their contract specifically covering this condition at this time for this month and year? You know, so no matter what, there's always that level of scrutiny that has to go into the sort of like the claim of it but I can't see there's a lot of people who come to us with diabetes who would want um, critical illness cover um, and unfortunately a lot of the time you know we, we can give options but you know there's some that are obviously they may be priced too high or some of them come with exclusions and I think it's very different to sort of saying to somebody oh well this is a policy that but it'll come with exclusions for xyz yeah. rather than just saying well this is a, a, a specific policy that offers you cover for cancer you're not saying all about all the exclusions that are there you're saying about what is there and it's, it's just a slight mindset change and how you present it and i think you know you're going from a positive um, i'm sorry i'm reading a self-care book at the moment so it's all about positive language and everything so it's sticking in my <laughs> <No>. head <laughs> it's all about how you positively frame things um and so you don't have that kind of even subtle negative connotation that can happen with some of the language that's used yeah no so, that, that absolutely makes sense um, so then looking at post-coronavirus, so just I'm assuming I'm just going to be 
preaching exactly what a lot of advisors are experiencing at the moment. So type 1 at the moment, type 1 diabetes is difficult to arrange. Um, a lot of the time, the length of diagnosis, so as you said, someone with type 1 diabetes is generally diagnosed at a very young age. Um, I have somebody that I know that wasn't diagnosed until her sorry, mid to late 20s, was a close friend of mine. Right, okay. um, and, you know, the length of the diagnosis will take them past the maximum uh, loading sort of like limits that have been put on by a lot of insurers, which is quite unfortunate, I think, especially because I think like with type 1 diabetes, it's inherent that they're going to be way beyond that length of diagnosis, really. Um, and then, sorry, were you going to say something there to that? Yeah, that's just probably just to emphasize on that. So typically the shape of loadings that are put on for diabetes are as, as that, as you suggest there, are that certainly from when you've been through that initial getting it under control phase mm. that that's the best time to buy insurance a because you're youngest uh, and so the premium's lower anyway and b because you're earlier in in the progression of the disease so that so the ratings not just because of your age but also because the additional ratings tend to increase kind of every five or ten years that you've had the condition which as you mm. say then when some insurers will put in maximum ratings and at some point uh, whether that's 15 or 20 years in then you'll increasingly fall over and and as you've described with coronavirus i think people are insurers are reducing those maximums yeah so just a random thought that sort of popped into my head then um just again probably putting you on the spot a little bit sorry um is what about though if you have someone who's type 1 diabetic and they were diagnosed at like five and they're now was it 30 or something then Mm. they've had 25 years which could well put them past the the time frame to be able to to get the insurances right now but say take the case of my friend she would potentially been diagnosed for five years but then she's had 25 years of an uncontrolled medical condition in her body doing whatever it wants to do to her with no you know so, so to me the person who it, to me the person who's less risk is the person who's diagnosed at age five who's been had the medication being able to monitor and to be able to adapt and control their health to probably make them in some ways possibly even healthier than a lot of people because they're not monitored that much and it, that just kind of it, it kind of seems like one of those things sometimes where it's a bit of a blanket approach that could maybe do every now and then with that ability to be able to give it a specific eye over it to just say well hang on a minute yeah, let's not just bundle everyone who's had this diagnosis for 25 years into the same category. Yes, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, moving on. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) I think think the one thing I would say, not in defence, but I I guess in support of your friend and people like her, is uh, for her not to be diagnosed for that long. I I mean, ultimately, if she was getting insurance, then... Mm. probably you'd see her gp record and if she if she hasn't had significant i mean th- there are two situations there right there's the incompetent gp who just hasn't spotted what's going on yeah. um or uh, in which case the, then absolutely she's the, won't be on the medical records then so it's fine uh, absolutely <laughs> she, 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 she's in theory at additional risk or there's the she's got a milder you know type mild version of, yeah and, and 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 that's but but absolutely it's it's utterly yeah utterly wrong to reward someone for not being diagnosed earlier and and or to punish someone for for being treated well yeah um 
Brilliant. I'm glad you agree. Uh, there's also the extra things to say, like if someone's had the retinopathy, the neuropathy, um, higher readings, um, that can quickly push people beyond the maximum loadings that you would usually have found, in a sense, quite probably quite easy um, to, to get through for terms previously. For type 2 diabetes, we're probably seeing roughly about the same kind of um, things. Um, the, the difference being is that obviously someone who say with type 1 diabetes would have been diagnosed much longer which means that they generally even if their readings are very good it potentially does put them beyond those maximum read uh, maximum ratings that insurers are offering um, and the other complication with a lot of type 2 diabetics is that they have that combination a lot of the time of the higher bmi which again could start to just it's it's the little it, it's sort of like the little loadings that can all add up to very quickly put people past past the maximum loadings that are available at the moment um, and then also it's always difficult to um, get uh, cover for somebody who's had a heart attack and also has diabetes and um, it's doable um, it's definitely something we can do but now it is even more restricted than it was before so so there are options out there it's just um, yeah possibly it, it may be that people do need to start signposting in some occasions just to sort of um, get that extra bit of support so don't assume that it's not possible um it is just maybe that um it needs to go for sorry very very targeted insurers yeah and i think that overlap between conditions is really important so i guess starting in particular with type 2 diabetics where um it's important for the underwriter for the system if, an, if it's an underwriting system at play um and for the advisor to understand that a if you have someone who's a diabetic who's on medication for high blood pressure and who's borderline obese then those three risks very much overlap so you shouldn't be in a case where you're adding up plus 50 plus 50 plus 50 to make 150 extra loading um you should be saying that well these are all interrelated and and the cause goes down there's a lot of different systems within different insurers and reinsurers to try and assess that risk and I think that's why for diabetes, you can get very different ratings coming out of insurers and reinsurers compared to some other conditions because of that interaction and how that's evaluated um, and how the kind of insurers put together their risk. As we've said, I think that only <laughs> that only increases in the current situation. Um, but doing that fairly and almost not being surprised that a diabetic is on medication for high blood pressure mm. is is key in that case. Um, but generally, I think, as I've said, as we've gone through, that what the underwriter is really looking for in an ideal situation is is that kind of level of control and, and, a, and a time period over which to see that things aren't fluctuating around. Um, and that becomes really, really important. Um, so, as I say, if you're an advisor who's got someone who's diabetic and is trying to work out how straightforward the process is going to be, I think, I think A, for the person to know the answers to the kind of questions you've highlighted is really important um, more important than for other conditions it's not just important for efficiency mm. uh, in a way that for example knowing what stage of cancer you had was which is kind of makes the process go quicker but actually you know from an underwriter's perspective if you've got someone who doesn't know their latest hba1c uh or or answers to some of the other questions what medication they're on maybe mm. um then that is of itself worrying for this condition because it is so much about control and and yeah. compliance so, so i think there's you know that it, it does become even more important here um obviously if you're an advisor it's your job to help 
help yep. get that information but if i you know in an ideal joined up process i'd much rather i would much rather accept the person who that first time you ask them knows those 10 things without a without a pause rather than the person who yeah. takes takes a couple of months to find to find the notes Absolutely. I, th- I think I've maybe forgot as well that um, the hypos that, you know, if, if people have had the hypos, that's incredibly important as well. So that could be, yeah. you know, if they're regularly experiencing the blood sugar dropping quite low, as you say, that kind of the managing it in a sense, making sure that they're keeping their blood sugar levels quite consistent with their diet and different things. Um, and I think that there is quite something quite specific as well, memory from from clients as well, that there can be things on the night time. I think sometimes th- there can be sometimes hypoglycemic attacks during the night and they can sometimes become a bit of a a pattern of having those so again it comes down to monitoring and managing the condition as well and I think I think most people find that quite acceptable as well to sort of think well hang on yes I've got this condition and if I'm monitoring it and controlling it just with anything is if I'm doing the advice of the doctors and I'm taking all steps possible to me to be able to to better my health as, as any of us do with or without health conditions um then then I think most people will be understanding hopefully yeah, and there's been a huge investment, um, again, for obvious reasons, in in, in medications and, and uh, con- courses and controls and things like that that people go on. And I think, again, that's where there can often be frequent conversations between customers, advisors and insurers because, you know, people will have done absolutely everything right. They, they, there will be people who have been on the latest course. And I think a challenge for underwriters is looking at, uh, and insurers is looking at, uk specific data and uk specific courses and seeing which of those that are coming in are having more impact and again in in theory rewarding people who who are on those sort of good pathways um rather than those more disengaged yeah um so I think there was nothing I was going to suggest. There is, there are obviously the insurances as well, where if people do take out the insurance and they have diabetes, if they do better their HbA1c level readings and their BMIs and stuff, they can get, in a sense, rewarded with improved terms. You know, after a set period of time, if they're sort of like doing this thing and they can prove, as you say, this engagement and this um, this sort of like bettering of um, of their health, um, it can be sometimes quite a good option to look at. Yeah, so I think, I mean, it's worth stressing because there is always a frustration that we gloss over the good bits. I mean, for life, if you, if you, certainly if you're a type 2 diabetic who hasn't had other major incidents, then you definitely ought to be able to get life insurance cover at a, at a small extra premium at most. Mm. Um, but notwithstanding that, there are companies and, you know, cards on table lives heavily involved with one who have developed this idea that rather than underwriting someone once and then just setting them off into the wild for 25 years and seeing what happens <laughs> um, then they would um, re-underwrite every year basically dependent on results um, with minimal changes to the premium so one proposition premium only ever goes down it can't go up and the other it goes up or down a little bit depending on on your compliance and obviously the theory behind that is say that it rewards the good customer the people who are continuing to engage uh, and do all the right things um, and it should mean that we can ex- as insurers we can accept more people uh, at outset um, and, and at better terms um, but there's obviously compli- you know the downside is that it means ongoing engagement with your insurer it means yeah. A lack of total certainty about what you'll be paying so there's there's clearly up and downsides to that 
I mean, we've seen it as being very positive for some people. You know, some people really, really want to do it. And then, you know, you've also, we've also seen people who've turned on and said that they don't want to do it like that. You know, they just said, I can't, you know, basically, you know, especially the one where it's potential to go up a bit, you know, they've said, well, I just, I can't guarantee that I'm going to be able to exercise at this level, you know, I'll do this, I'll do that for the next year or so. And, they, and I think it's very important to just be, to, as with anything with as advisor, you know, you advise clients, you give them, you put on the table what's available and you help to, in a sense, guide them, but you need to be very blunt and honest with it as well and say, look, this one will be really good if you can keep doing this and you can keep doing what you're planning or you start doing all those boot camps you're thinking of doing. Brilliant, because you could bring your premium down. But at the same point, if you're not sure if you're going to commit to that, the premium may go to this. So, you know, it's, is that right for you? So should you maybe just go for this one over here that's a set premium forever that's kind of like in between, you know, in between the high that it may go to with the original one? So I've got a case today. Um, and this one is a, a case study from, from not too long ago, pre-coronavirus. Well, I say pre-coronavirus, I'll, I'll chat about it. It was bordering into coronavirus territory. So it was, uh, it's a person with diabetes. Um, so 40-year-old male, non-smoker. He has um, Wolf-Parkinson's-White syndrome that was diagnosed nine years ago. Um, that is a heart condition. Uh, he has type 1 diabetes that was diagnosed 29 years ago. He uses an insulin pump. His reading is um, 47, so that's very well controlled. And he also has some potential background retinopathy. Um, he's somebody who is very fit, though he does triathlons. And he wanted uh, life insurance and income protection. So we managed to get both him, which is brilliant. But this one was a little bit strange in the sense of, so with the income protection, um, I'll chat about this one uh, quite specifically. So we, he wanted, well, we got him £3,000 worth of income protection. Um, it was uh, per month. Um, so 13 week deferred period, uh, two year claim period, and it ran to age 65. And that came to £55 per month. Now, what the interesting thing about this one, especially in regards to coronavirus, is that we'd given this person the terms and they were doing the thing, as some clients do, where they were kind of umming and ahhing and deciding whether or not they wanted it or didn't want it. And we'd had to do a thing before coronavirus. We'd had the terms revised um, because time frame since, you know, obviously having the terms issued to them considering it. And it, we did all this just before everything happened with coronavirus. And he came back and the loading that was going to be on the policy was a lot less than we expected. Mm -hmm. and so uh, when that happened we were chatting with him and everything and he was just like well I'd like to see the price of it to with not at the two-year max claim period I wanted to have it to end to, to, to the age 65 so no limit on the claim and that came back at a price that absolutely he wanted to go ahead with and then coronavirus struck and the annoying thing about it was that we couldn't reissue the terms so we've had to, and he's, I mean, he's happy, he's got the cover, but he's now, he has the policy. Obviously, he's very happy having an income protection policy, but it is at that two-year maximum. But because if we'd had the, issue, the terms reissued, then because of coronavirus and the change in everything, there's just no way we'd been able to get him the cover. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's quite frustrating. It's something that obviously we were trying to encourage him to have the, the higher um, level of cover. But as with anything, there's only so much that you can, and especially for us, we're, we're not pushy at all in the slightest, but you don't necessarily have that foresight to go, well, you know what's going to happen next week? This thing called coronavirus is going to hit and we really want to get these terms reissued now and everything like that. But I think it's potentially 
without scaremongering is potentially a bit of a kind of like maybe a wise tale sometimes to be able to maybe use and say to clients to just say look we, we just we never know what is around the corner and obviously absolutely don't rush into a decision but some things that can sometimes drastically happen <laughs> which can really change what we can do is to just try and get all the options there available as quickly as you can we also arranged for him and his partner and his partner also has some medical conditions but i won't go into that because they weren't diabetes related um and we got them decreasing joint decreasing life insurance of three hundred eighty thousand pounds over 25 years for 65 pounds per month which we were quite pleased really to, to be able to get all that because there was potentially some obviously some complications there we had a heart condition we had diabetes potentially a little bit of um, background retinopathy and uh, we were really um, impressed that we managed to get that through. Yeah I think it's still well yeah no there's there's lots of really good tales in there aren't there um, I think the uh, the income protection bit is is often surprising to people that you can get more as much more that you can then for critical illness for diabetes and that is all down to the stuff we talked about um but yeah I, I think as and as you say the general you don't know when something's going to happen to you or as we now understand to the whole of the country um mm. I, I i would hope would be one of those you know minor but significant positive changes in the future to all of our kind of approaches to things that you you really really don't know what's around the corner um yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Do you have any extras? I know we have like a little extra section that we often let you just have a moment. Well, I think so. I've jumped in throughout this week. Right? <laughs> yeah, I think you have. So, so I, I guess for me, the key bit is to encourage this. This I, I think as for other conditions, and as we've mentioned at the top, although diabetes starts off very simple, type 1, type 2 diabetes, that's it. I think over the next five or 10 years, it, it you'll see more and more segmentation um, within that from a medical point of view. And clearly there'll be winners and losers in that. So I think if, if you are a protection advisor, then yeah, staying on top of this is going to be really important. Uh, just a quick one on gestational diabetes, because I promised that I'd talk about that and we haven't. Um, I think that is, I guess the headline on that is just, there is true gestational diabetes, which comes, um, impacts people really quite severely at times during pregnancy um, but then doesn't have any long lasting effect or any long lasting kind of increased chance of diabetes uh, other types of diabetes in the long term so it disappears other, doesn't it after the yeah, pregnancy yeah yeah absolutely and and you are at no extra risk of getting type 2 diabetes thereafter um, there are others where and i i'm not even going to hazard an opinion as to whether it's truly gestational diabetes in the first place i haven't done enough reading to know okay. that but, but there are others who what is originally diagnosed as gestational diabetes sort of transforms or, or doesn't go away after pregnancy and, and they end up having uh, a form of diabetes diagnosed which I, I my understanding is that that's a, more because they probably already had the diabetes it just happened to be diagnosed in pregnancy no. um, but again I think that is an area if if you go back to times when people go to buy life insurance, it tends to be um, when you're moving house, when you're having, when you're fam when you're having a family, etc. So it's a disproportionately big issue within underwriting because quite often you will have someone who's either pregnant or just yeah. been 
movement and so it's a recent thing in their history so it can cause quite a lot of head scratching um again the reality is is if you've if you're post pregnancy if you've had gestational diabetes and since you haven't had any problems then you should be fine for all covers yeah um but yeah uh, if you're in the middle of it then it then you can then the more cautious approach would be taken that's really interesting as well because I, um, I'm sure I've mentioned it before. I, with my final uh, pregnancy with Zachary almost three years ago, I uh, afterwards developed postpartum thyroiditis. So mm. I became, um, oh, I'm going to get it completely. So I became, <laughs> I'm going to try to think of that. So I became a hyper, hang on, this hyperthyroidism i get confused right under overactive i'm just going to say overactive yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. i developed an overactive thyroid and they had no idea what was wrong with me because obviously originally it was a case of it was something of like well i've got three kids i've got a baby i'm breastfeeding it's the middle of summer i'm shattered and it but something just wasn't right so like oh you've, you've developed an overactive thyroid this is really strange because you've never had obviously your thyroid's always been fine and then almost as instantly um i had like these tests done over three months so i had like a, one test which showed i was absolutely over, and very very much an overactive thyroid a test about i think it was eight weeks later suddenly showed that i'd flipped to an underactive thyroid and very much a very specific underactive thyroid and nobody really knew what was going on so i was doing research which showed this thing called postpartum thyroiditis so i started having to have medication um after another three month of waiting because i won't give you medication until you've actually proven mm. that you are definitely think and it's meant to potentially go away after 12 to 18 months um but now zachary's three and it's still not gone away so i think i'm i'm underactive thyroided for life now mm. which leads me in very nicely to the next um truth and yes. lie dun, 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 dun. so one of the things i've been wanting to do very specifically is really trying to be healthy in lockdown. I'm trying really hard to eat healthy. Anybody who follows me on social media realizes that I made chocolate cinnamon monkey bread at the weekend, which basically was not healthy whatsoever, um, but it was amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I'm trying really hard. I'm exercising a lot more than I have been doing. Um, obviously, with the kids being around me, I don't feel as guilty if I suddenly, whereas usually I used to have to sort of go off to exercise, whereas now I'm just exercising at home with virtual sessions and everything which is quite nice, but I'm going to share um, the truth about myself. Um, and we have to guess if it's the truth or not, but so I'm trying to be really, really healthy and everything, but I'm going to share that I've been reflecting on the past and everything like that, and that I used to be uh, UK size 22, um, and I was around 96 kilograms, which is about 15 stone. And just in case anyone's, I am six foot, so... That is that was my sizing and everything when I was younger. Yeah, so I can do. I'm. I this isn't my truth or lie, but I'm. I'm about ninety six kilograms now, but I'm six foot six, so that's that's allowed. Um, <laughs> in, for, for an underwriter, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still I'm still in the club. Um, yes, but on the healthy theme. Um, so I live in Chelmsford, uh, where Mike Adams, one of our previous guests, we reminisced about the McDonald's that is directly opposite his mm. office. And that was you've not been things. you've not that been that person in the queue it, have you like an hours worth of queue so slightly depressingly chelmsford was one of the places to open five of our mcdonald's <laughs> last week <laughs> five of the 15 mcdonald's that got opened last week were in oh, chelmsford wow. so, so my truth or lie is that i on the first day post lockdown went to mcdonald's with my children whether that makes <sighs> it 
So I will reveal. So hang on, was that was this when they've reopened? Or was this you said post lockdown? Was this like two months ago? No, no, or was this like no sorry now. So, oh. so, so yeah, post well are we post lockdown or not? Yeah. The first day it's post lockdown, yeah. I think yeah. after yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I, I think say, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Don't um, mention Cummings. Exactly. <laughs> so, yes. A Freudian slip. <laughs> uh, we we were there in the queue. I just imagine, I saw a Twitter video of like a long like line of cars going into like it was like an hour's worth of car backing up and I'm just thinking I cannot believe I know somebody in that <laughs> Well we made like, it to nine we made it to nine episodes, right? We had to oh, creative differences. Oh, um, but not McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that terrible parent that my eldest child didn't have a McDonald's or anything like that until he was five. I'm, oh, I'm terrible. And like now, obviously, third child, it's just like, yeah, you can have it for breakfast. It's fine. I'm not <laughs> whatever you want. Eat off the floor. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, and we'll be back in a fortnight. And if you'd like a reminder of the next episode uh, where we'll be chatting about HIV with a new special guest, then please do let us know. Uh, we're on social media in all the usual places or come to our website at www.practical.com. Dash protection.co.uk. Thank you for listening. Bye.